Welcome everyone to Stock Market Live. I'm Daniel Snyder. This is Austin Hankwitz. Thanks for tuning in today. Now, I want to take a quick second because this isn't just an ordinary week, as we know. This is the week of Thanksgiving. For all of those here in the States that we are celebrating, happy Thanksgiving to you. We're not going to take too much of your time today, but we appreciate you hanging out with us. We know a lot of you are traveling. A lot of people are having family come in to hang out. So let's go ahead and get some shout outs. We got Adam. We got Alfonso, Anna, Zim, Christian, Craig, Dan, Elsie, George, Gian, Huey, Roland, Robert, Richie. Thank you all. Hey, whoa, 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 today. whoa. We can't forget Nancy now. We got Nancy joining us. We can't Nancy. forget Nancy. We love Nancy. I got to say, first off, a big thank you to everyone that joins us live and the people that are listening to the replay of the podcast. Austin, did you know I went into some stats? Obviously, we just started the show not too long ago, but we have started climbing the ranks in certain countries within the podcast. <laughs> Let me break it down for you. In Thailand, of all places, we're number 182 for business investing podcast. We're going to climb. We're going to make it grow higher. And over in Great Britain, we are actually number 244. So that's cool and all. I like that we're ranking, but we've got to get higher. So if you guys wouldn't mind, take a moment. Even if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, head over there. Leave us a rating or review. Help us out so that we can get more people here. We get more interaction, more different viewpoints, which hopefully helps us all invest better as we go through this journey. Um, awesome. We got to start with this news. We got to start with the, the groundbreaking news that happened Sunday night. And I think everybody here knows what we're talking about because we've been talking about this company for a long time. I got to ask you, what are your thoughts about Bob Iger coming back to Disney? So I'm going to be completely transparent. As you know, this, I am not the big, you know, Disney movie guy. I'm not, I've, I've never been to a Disney park. I'm not a big Disney human being. Uh, I, I dove a little bit deeper into Disney after we had those initial conversations a few weeks ago. But by your excitement, by the market's clear excitement, I think that having Bog Iger back in the, uh, on, on the ropes or on the saddle rather is, uh, is a good idea. I know you have a lot more information about this as someone who worked at Disney, as someone who's a Disney shareholder. So I'm going to get your perspective on maybe you know, why are people so excited about this? I, I've got some hunches in the back of my mind that I'll kind of throw at you here, but what do you think is getting people so excited about having Bob Iger back? Yeah, let's get into, uh, well, first, I just want to clarify. I'm not a shareholder of Disney anymore. I used to be. Um, okay, okay, this my fault. Time, I am considering the overall macro environment. I'm considering what's happening with the leadership changes. Obviously, Bob Chapek ran the company like he ran the theme parks, right? The guy came from the theme park division within the company. And the thing about Disney is they like to hire CEO positions from within the company when they can. Obviously, Bob Iger was a unique scenario. He used to be in ABC running sports. And when Disney acquired ABC, therefore, he was able to rise the ranks within that manner. Bob Chapek ran it more from a business finance standpoint. And Bob Iger has always been, as most people probably have read right now in the news, the creative needs to come first because that is the whole thing behind intellectual property. When you're creating these characters and you're creating these stories, people need to emotionally connect with them. And that is what's going to drive your revenues and your sales and create franchises. And that's the business model. And it's not the theme park. Why do people go to the theme park? I used to work at the theme park. I think we talked about this one time. When I was in college down in Orlando, I worked at the theme park. And the whole idea behind the theme park was why do people come to Disney versus Universal or SeaWorld or Six Flags or anywhere else? It's because of the characters. So the, the characters and the creative storytelling has to be at the heart of everything that's going on over there. So that's what Bob Iger's going to do, right? This guy, when he was CEO the, this previous time, he would do he would watch all the cuts. He would provide creative feedback notes. The guy drove with creativity and also understood the business side with the, the Pixar acquisition, the Fox acquisition, everything else. But the thing is, is, they levered up the debt so high for that Fox acquisition. And then you see Bob Chapek come in and start to leverage up the debt or trying to leverage up the debt even more. And this is where I want to get into these things. So interesting viewpoints. Uh, Josh, let's go ahead and throw up this first slide, Austin, because um, I was on Facebook. So I'm still connected with a lot of my friends from times at Disney World and times at Disney in California when I was working in the film studio TV lot and stuff and doing digital content. These are people that work at Disney right now. So put this in perspective on the left. I'll just read it to, so that everybody, you know, listening to the podcast sees us or hears us as well. One of these posts on my Facebook says, imagine being, imagine being so bad at your job that the entire company and your customers celebrate that you are being replaced. Hashtag by Bob. Hi, Bob. Of course, comments. I got a cake. I'm excited. Could not be more thrilled. Yeah, man. Paycheck sucked. 
So obviously internal company uh, dynamics of how employees, but just to remind you too, like these employees, the other side of the coin is have not always been the most positive when it comes to the C-suite of Disney and how much they get paid and the decisions that are made and stuff. So keep that in mind as well. But then over here on this other post, obviously a couple of posts here, one person calls it a Christmas miracle. Um, the other person says, I'll admit in my early days, I highly disliked this guy. But once I started really learning how much good he did, they're talking about Bob Iger for the parks and the company as a whole, that changed. Very excited about this. And Bob Iger was transformational in the parks, right? He opened Shanghai. He led the development of that park, if you remember as well. Um, let's go ahead and go to the next slide, Josh, because this is what surprised me. Your own chief financial officer was behind the drive to get Bob Chapek pushed out. Um, and this came across Fortune and across uh, CNBC and a couple other um, news sources as well. But it makes sense, right? She's in charge of the numbers. She sees what is going on with the debt. She's trying to make sure that she's protected for herself and her career and her legacy as well. And I'm sure she's very passionate about the company. She's been there a long time. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide. This is actually just a, a, an expert from that article. This is Bob Chapek, who succeeded Bob Iger as CEO in 2020, was ousted by the Disney board. Iger reportedly received a call from Susan Arnold, chairman of the board, on November 18th. And then just two days later, the company announced on November 20th that Iger would return as CEO for another two years. Uh, over the summer, senior leaders at the company, including McCarthy, warned boardroom directors that Disney was heading in the wrong direction and campaigned for Chapek to go. According to these reports, Disney didn't respond to their request for comments. Uh, let's go ahead and take that what off. That, what does that mean, Daniel? What does it mean the wrong direction? Do you think financially? Do you think it's, you know, I, I it, not just to get political, but I think a lot of people saw the Buzz Lightyear movie that happened and some people were excited. Other people were very upset about it, right? So is that what they're talking about? What are they talking about the wrong direction? I think they're talking about the wrong direction of like, you have this direct-to-consumer model that Bob Iger in the last few years of his his term as CEO, you know, he bought BAM Tech from MLB. He he led the streaming service. He he set up the model that Bob Chapek just needed to continue. But I think when Bob started to steer the direction of, you know, re-upping the, the sports rights and trying to expand DTC internationally, they kept looking at it too much from a business standpoint and just being like, well, what can we get as quick revenue? What can we get just to get something going? They didn't really focus and double down and like, you think about the movie slates ahead of time, the, the animation that, you know, we expect more out of Disney within the creative realm as well. And I'm sure there were probably a lot of backdoor discussions of people getting aggravated and, you know, people maybe left due to creative differences, which is usually what the term is thrown around. Um, but usually it just means that somebody from a business mindset is interfering with creative, messing up the storytelling blocking any you know innovation that might happen there as well there was one report i believe they wanted to move the imagineering team from california where they're based in uh, glendale over to florida um so typically you know they would they would build roller coasters they would build the animatronics for the parks everything would be right there next to burbank and that way c-suite could go over they could check it out and try to you know innovate it a little bit more before they shipped it off around the world wherever it needed to go why would you move that to florida like, were you trying to move the entire C-suite and everything else over to Florida? Like, what is the thought process there? Didn't need to happen. I think there were a lot of red flags that kept coming up. I'm sure we're going to learn more over time as well. Um, these next two years will definitely be crucial for the Disney company. You know, Bob Iger coming in, hopefully leading the charge. I mean, the guy is brilliant when it comes to the political side of things. We know what happened with Florida, right? But this is also the guy that got a theme park open in China, of all places. So he's very smart when it comes to the, the political direction of it, the financial direction of it, and the creative direction of it. And that's really what Disney needs to see in a CEO. So, you know, they're gonna, they got two years to find the next one. We'll see what happens. But, I mean, the guy's 71 years old. He looks like he's, I don't know, 50-something. Guy's in incredible shape. I had no idea he was that old. That's crazy. I thought he was, like, in his 50s. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, man. And everybody wanted him to run for president, right? But apparently his wife told him no. So we're never going to get that. But that's Disney. I, I hope, you know, guys, I got to ask you, I mean, did you guys expect this Disney Bob Iger comeback? I'm thrilled to see it personally. I love seeing him come back into the sea. Obviously, I'm sure he doesn't really want to do it. Um, but and he tried to quit multiple times before and the board kept extending his contract. So is it going to last just two years is the other question I have now. But obviously, shareholders love to see this. I mean, the stock popped tremendously on the day. So let us know in the chat. Do you like what's happening right now with the management overturn? Um, cause I'm a huge fan of the company. I think they, they've got a long way to go. So moving forward, let's go ahead and do initial thoughts, shall we? Oh, but actually 
Let's do an audience poll. We've got a great amount of people that are hanging out with us today. Guys, Josh, would you go ahead and throw up the poll? Same question as last week, everybody. If you were here, we ask you, do you expect the market to go higher or lower into the end of the year? Josh, let's go ahead and throw that up and give everybody a second. Throw a little music on in the background. Give everybody a quick second. Go ahead. Let us know higher or lower. And if I remember, remember correctly, last week, more people expected it to go lower than higher, right? I thought it was higher. No, I remember higher. higher. Okay. It was okay. like a 60-40 split. It was close. It was very close, but I think more people were expecting higher. Um, I, I'm still calling for lower, but obviously that's not happening. Yeah. Awesome. So Stephanie says, where's the holiday music? Stephanie, I'm sorry. <laughs> we totally, oh, what, what kind of music will we play for? Uh, I mean, we, we don't want to kickstart and skip over Thanksgiving. What do you listen to Thanksgiving for Thanksgiving? What kind of music is that? I think I think Thanksgiving music straight to Christmas, man. I think we're just straight to Christmas music. My girlfriend's already in the Christmas cheer. You know, she's listening. She's roasting the marshmallows. She's getting excited. All right, Josh, let's go ahead and show the result of this poll. What are we at? Turkey music says Mohammed. Love it. All right, everybody's expecting, well, not everybody. Most people are expecting the market to go higher into the end of the year. That's 65% versus 35% are expecting the market to head lower into the end of the year. So with that being said, Let's get into initial thoughts, shall we? I'd love to kick it off, Daniel, if you don't mind. Go for it. Okay. First initial thought was um, I saw a headline today um, where Kathy Wood was calling for a $1 million Bitcoin uh, by 2030. I know you are against Bitcoin. You don't believe in it. You probably are on Warren Buffett's side of thinking it's rat poison. Um, I'm I'm still trying to figure out, you know, what that might look like with Bitcoin. I, I have my cryptocurrency ideas with Chainlink and Ethereum, but Bitcoin, you know, what, what's going on there? But Kathy Wood says Bitcoin to one million by 2030. What are your thoughts? Are you bullish or bearish? Is she crazy? Uh, I'm in the she's crazy boat. Um, kind of <laughs> really quick here on Seeking Alpha, you know, Bitcoin would need to rally roughly 6,000% over the next eight years. Not out of the question if there's another, I mean, we saw, we all saw it happen over the last few years. We've seen what's happened. But um, also, I would say Kathy Wood has purchased more than 175,000 shares of the popular grayscale Bitcoin investment trust this week in the recent aftermath. So is she just talking her book is what makes me... Uh, that's where my head goes. So I'm still bearish on it. I'm bearish on this. Um, love what she's doing over there with the innovation and, and, and really focusing in that direction of investing, but bearish for me on this. And I just want to make a, a quick disclaimer and announcement. Please, 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 if you are a Bitcoin and Ethereum or whatever other cryptocurrency investor, get your money off the exchange and put it into a hardware wallet, right? There's, there's my etherwallet.com. That's what I use. You can get a, um, there's, there's tons of different wallets that, that, that you can download, that you can use, that you can share. Like it's, it, they're, they're so easy to get. They're so easy to make. Do not trust these exchanges. We saw this with FTX. We saw this with Celsius and Voyager and all these other terrible exchanges go belly up. Do not be one of those people. Get your money off an exchange. And if you are exposed to Bitcoin through this grayscale Bitcoin uh, trust ETF, whatever it is specifically there, be weary. I've seen a lot of things, you know, some 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 rumors going around that they might be insolvent. I'm not saying that's the case at all. I'm just saying if you want to invest in Bitcoin, invest in Bitcoin. Don't go through some third party. There's there's too much uncertainty with that. So uh, with that Stephanie being said, Stephanie says she would love a one million dollar Bitcoin. I mean, I'm hey, I, try, I would too, Stephanie. Don't get me wrong now. Quick no problem, question, Vita. So you mentioned what was that EthereumWallet.com? Was that what you? Yeah, it's it's quite literally called my etherwallet.com that's what i use for all my stuff it's it, it's two-factor authentication through my phone and my laptop you can also do the uh what's it called the ledger nano um heck i've got an extra one send me a uh, send me an email I'm happy to send it to you no problem uh yes my etherwallet.com that's exactly right so that's what i use this over from uh the host and panelists sometimes when you guys chat us it only goes to us i want to make sure that everybody sees that my etherwallet.com there you go yep just put it in the chat there you go. Everybody go check it out. So just to make sure that is a personal wallet, right? That is not it an is. exchange. So if an exchange yes. goes bust, you are still okay as a holder of that coin. 100%. And, and and so what's really cool about it, they've got the app on the phone. You can uh, use the app to activate and like get in. It's like a really cool two-factor authentication with the QR code scans. But yes, it's not exchange. It's off of that. It is a personal wallet. Nothing is is uh, you know up for, up for risk, which is really cool. So the next question, next thought I want to get from your uh, perspective here, Daniel, is HP. 
HP said uh, to their investors that they plan to lay off 6,000 people, about 10 or 11% of their workforce, uh, after a quarterly revenue drop of 11%. We saw a 17% drop in laptop sales. Um, by doing this layoff, they hope to save $1.4 billion. And their CEO is quoted saying, we think that, it's, that at this point, it's prudent to not assume that the market will turn during 2023. What does this mean? What Bullish, bearish, what's going on with, with laptop sales, with chips, with everything? Are people not buying laptops? What does that mean for Apple, maybe? What are, you, what are your thoughts here? Well, we know what's happening within the computer space, right? I think Apple's a different scenario. They have their own iOS software. And, and what it was always told to me is he who runs the software runs the game, right? It's like mm -hmm. Windows runs their game because they created Windows software. Google has Android. Apple has iOS and, and you see that on Mac OS and everything else. So I think Apple's a little bit different than here, but like you have Lenovo and HP and all these other, you know, PC uh, market players that are going to run into this barrier because of the market demand that was pulled forward during COVID, as we talked about so much last year. I mean, everybody talked about this is you had to have computers at home, whether it was buying it for your kid to do their educational studies, whether it was for you and your job, everybody was upgrading and so the businesses were buying new stuff for their employees. And remember, computers will last a few years. So I, I completely see what they're talking about here. I think they're going to see a slump, obviously especially in the macroeconomic environment of not new companies IPOing, not new companies coming to just um, formation through LLC. Remember, th think about how many people were like, I'm going to become my own boss during COVID because they we had free money and we had the ability to do so. You're seeing a pullback in that. And you got to think about how many of those are eventually going to uh, fall off and eventually disappear. Um, so I think HP, it's a smart move for them to try to get through this cycle, but I think it was kind of something that a lot of Wall Street already saw coming down the runway. Got it. Got it. Um, yeah, I think that's a really great take. Um, it's going to be an interesting 2023. So the next and last point, and I guess, uh, you know, perspective I want to get from you here is with the housing market. So investor buying of homes, right? Investors specifically, investor buying of homes has dropped 30% during Q3, right? That's year over year, right? So when you compare Q3 of this year to Q3 last year, it's down 30%. The largest quarterly drop since 2008. What does this mean for the average home buyer? Are, you, are we bullish? Are we bearish? Are they excited now that they could perhaps buy a home for the first time and not have to be outbid by all these investors? Or, or maybe the, the heightened interest rates are still going to kind of weigh down on that monthly payment. What do you think? I think this is so two-parters, right? This is bullish for your everyday person that's looking to get started with their first home or, or just purchase a house, right? Because these companies that the investors that were stepping in, think about, you know, whether it was BlackRock or whoever it was, there was all that circulation of talk about them coming in to buy all these single family homes because it was the inflation hedge. They could get rently monthly income off of it. Um, but those companies have to respect the interest rate levels as a company. Where it's individual people can make that decision for themselves in their own scenario. They don't have billions and billions of dollars to worry about, right? Same way, it's like it's easier for us to invest in the stock market than it is for Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett, right? When you have more money, you have more problems. Um, so it's very bullish overall, but I'm still expecting actually a little bit more of a value pullback within housing prices. I know my value of my home has dropped probably within the last few months by about 50 grand. I'm expecting it to come down more, right? That's the hypothetical. It's paper gains. It's the whole thing. I'm expecting more of a pullback. I'm still above my break even. I mean, 40% in two years is not sustainable when your average uh, increase in, in value of a home was like 2 or 3% to keep up with inflation, right? Um, so overall, bullish for the individual I'm still a little bearish, especially after seeing like the housing starts numbers that we got recently, where it's like single family home housing starts are down, but multifamily is up. Um, so multifamily being developers, building more apartments, condos, things like that. So something to keep an eye on. I think that's, I think that's a great point. And to your point though, of the interest rates, right? I just want to remind everyone how <clears throat> excuse me, impactful these interest rates can be, right? I mean, at the start of the year, interest rates are around maybe 3%, 4%. Now they're north of 6 and 7 and 8%. And, and what that does is that adds $800, $900, $1,000 to your monthly payment that's an entirely going to interest, right? So your buying power now from the actual price of the home has to come down dramatically. And so all these people who are saying, yes, I could afford a $2,800 a month mortgage payment, 
were saying, I could, I could buy a $400,000, $500,000 house with this money, right? Maybe even more. But now that, that number's having to come back down to three fifty dollars or three twenty, dollars right? Because that's only what you can buy with that same $2,800 uh, $2, mortgage payment that they were sort of budgeting for. And, and so to your point of expecting that pullback, I'm right there with you. I think we're going to see a, you know, a, a, a moderate pullback uh, as more and more people are beginning to either one have to, if, if you're selling your house, you got to sell it, right? They have to sell it for a reason. And so you're going to have to try and meet the market where they are. And the buyers now are saying, hey, I've, I've only got 2,800 bucks or 1,000, whatever the number is, right, that they budgeted for. And with that being said, my buying power is, you know, 350 grand. Like you got to meet me where I am. So to that point, I think we're going to see some of that um, give and take there, but we'll, we will come to a point where the, the housing market's going to kind of not go up 40% anymore. It might have just kind of, you know, come back to normal three, four, 5% a year. And, and that's what I'm looking forward to as, as not just a homeowner, but someone who, who is planning to buy uh, more rental properties in the future. Yeah. And I just want to say one last thing in, in regards to this that I actually shared with one of my closest friends is, you know, he's down in Florida there. He and his wife are looking to, to get a home here soon. My word of advice is wait until the Fed stops raising. Right. By this point, you've already had 475 basis points raised. We're going to get the 50 probably in December and the 25 in February. Why do we say that? It's because every time you raise an interest rate, it takes six to eight, nine months for it to be felt in the economy. So not only did I tell him to wait till the interest rate stops to say, if you can hold out maybe another six months, because as those interest rates keep going higher, as we're all expecting, we know that they need to. Even though it's less, it's still what they're doing is they impacted the, the, the heavy hit, which they should have done more. Um, from the get-go, they should have done 100 basis points and, and been those people up front, as we now know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But let those interest rates hit. Watch the buyers step away, aka these institutions that you're referring to. Let the housing prices come down, and you might be able to get a great entry. Because um, you make is, real estate is no different than stock. You make money when you buy, right? You make money when you buy, so you want to keep that in mind. But also for individuals, typically, you know, you hold a house for 10 years, I think is what they obviously say. Um, and then real estate is a long-term investment, as we know. So if you're not looking at it from a monthly income, but rather a place to live and, and controlling your mortgage and expenses, that's kind of what I've been telling people. So, all right. Thank you so much for bringing those three. I've got three for you. Let's go ahead and run through this. So I've got, <laughs> I did some research over the weekend. Let me tell you what, Josh, let's go ahead and throw up this first slide. Austin, I've got to get you your thoughts on this. If you're I mean, obviously, I think we all know if you're bullish or bearish. Let me just get your overall thoughts of, I found, this is the FTX balance sheet. No kidding. FTX balance sheet. And a couple of line items to point out here. Obviously, actually, let's go ahead and we'll come back to this in just a second. Josh, go to the next slide. I just want to read this because this is notes on this balance sheet. So needless to say, there was no interest. You could write a book detailing the liquidity mismatches and questionable line items in there, but in short, the math doesn't add up to anything good. Two of the most rigorous, I don't know how to word, items, the two craziest items, right? A $2.2 billion asset in a crypto token created by FTX called Serum, which had a total market cap of roughly 100 million at the time. 2.2 billion is what they were accounting. It was only worth 100, okay? First off. Side note, for an $8 billion liability, which was not included in the liability section, it had the following description, in quotes, hidden, poorly internally labeled fiat account, end quote. Now, Josh, let's go back to the previous slide and look at this balance sheet real quick, because this is, not to mention, I do want to point out, if you guys see it on the right side as well, that bottom column where it says Trump lose, that's his donations to Democratic politicians during the races, right? So it wasn't even like he was clever. Um, obviously, above that, though, which is interesting, and you can read about this more later, he had pledged money to help Elon with the Twitter deal. And Elon came out and was like, I think this kid is full of crap. I don't think he has the money. He claims he does. There's all sorts of things, which also makes me wonder that with this FTX collapse, do you remember the other day when Elon... Uh, went and raised another $4 billion by selling Tesla stock? Yes, I do. I wonder if it was because of this. So I want to know your thoughts. I mean, obviously, we all know that this kid ran a horrible balance sheet, as you can all see and look into later as well. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Just first so, glance. First glance is the math ain't mathing, right? The math's got a math, and they couldn't get the math to math. So the math simply ain't mathing. I am appalled, and I, and I don't know if you saw this, but last night I was going through a couple more of these 
fun FTX Twitter threads reveal all. And I, I was appalled by the email that Sam Bankman Fraud had sent out to his um, fellow employees saying, you know, here's what we were thinking. We had collateral of, you know, of, of 60 billion and we had liabilities of 8 billion. And then it all came down to we had collateral then of only 8 billion and liabilities of 8 billion. And then we weren't, you know, liquid and things of that nature. Listen, guy, you know what I didn't read in any of that? Taking responsibility, apologizing. I, I mean, I, I didn't read anywhere at any point where this guy said what I did was wrong. I am a fraud. I'm recognizing that like, like nothing, no accountability, nothing. I think he is a menace to society. I do not like this guy with everything inside of me. I hate it. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, you look at this and it's just like, this is exactly what cryptocurrency shouldn't be right at the end of the day, cryptocurrency was created as a way for people to transparently kind of have their own um, being, being able to keep their books in a transparent way where the banks can't screw us again like they did in 2008, right? That's where all this stemmed from. That's where Bitcoin was created. And, and this is just corporate greed, corporate leverage, um, a guy getting too big in his own head, uh, politicians maybe rubbing his shoulders a little bit, asking for money, right? I just, I hate it. Also, can we just point out real quick, the first item under the assets column is Robinhood. Is, I think that's right. Right. Yeah. 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 It is. Yeah. That's I crazy. mean, and that's why, of course, Robinhood stocks when all this broke completely got demolished. But all right. Thanks for the thoughts on that. Let's keep moving. Uh, Josh, let's go two slides forward now since we already showed the description of that. So I got to I got to bring this up. I found this and I was like, holy crap, this explains so much. So this is stock bond correlation since 1965. So obviously above 0% means that stock and bond prices are moving in the same direction at the same time. And below that, for what we've seen for the last 22 years, obviously, is that stocks and bonds have not been correlated. What's your initial thoughts here? Ooh, so I've actually never thought about this. This is really interesting. Um, well, obviously, as context clues, the first thing I do is look back when we were correlated. And that, that reminds me of the 70s and 80s when we had, you know, the, the, the lost decade in the stock market. Inflation was high. People were trying to figure out what to do with their money. It was a kangaroo market for several years. Um, that just makes me think that perhaps we're foreshadowing toward a scenario that could be similar uh, in the future. Obviously, and it's actually kind of funny to kind of bring crypto back into this. People are people were ranting and raving how great the four, six, and eight percent yields were uh, on their USD uh, in these different crypto exchanges as they were being lent out to to perhaps hedge funds and things of that nature. But now it's we Fugazi, see bonds. It's Fugazi. It's uh... yeah, Fugazi, Fugazi. You know. <laughs> but I'll say it's really cool now to see that the U.S. Uh, you know these treasuries, these bonds, things of that nature are paying that four, six, eight percent. Uh, perhaps maybe one day, uh, but, but are in that range, they're in spitting distance now of what the crazy returns were of crypto. And so I just, I, I really hope, Daniel, that we get back to a point where stock valuations are, are kind of rooted in fundamental financials, fundamental growth, true valuations that aren't bubbles, that aren't ups and downs. And I really hope too, that we can get back to the idea of, of having bonds, bonds, uh, you know, the 60-40 portfolio, right? Having it in stocks and having it in bonds and bonds being an integral part of someone's portfolio. And it's not just the one and a half or 2% that, that we've kind of seen over the last several years. Um, that's what this is showing me. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's uh, the last decade might be, might be coming if we're not careful. So seeing this, do you think that the 60-40 portfolio is back? Actually, that's a question I have for everybody. Everybody that's listening, leave it a, leave, leave a little uh, chat for us. Do you think the 60-40 portfolio is back? Because that's kind of what was based off of the correlation between these stocks and bond prices. I think it certainly can be, right? I, I, I mean, especially now we look at these four, uh, I think it's four and a half or 4.7 or, I mean, certainly like that is, that is money, right? It's, it's, that is actually sustainable. I mean, if you have tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars, that is, that is really impactful. Um, yeah, I think Bill. I think Bill's kind of right here. It's like maybe not yet, but I think it certainly can be. That's a great point. All right, Josh, let's go ahead and take that slide off. One more for you. So since 1975, there has been 51,592 stocks listed on either the NYSE, the Nasdaq, or the Amex. Right. So since that year, 45% of U.S. stocks listed on these exchanges fell 90% from their all-time high prices. So that's 18,676 of these stocks that were almost completely demolished, but the majority of them did end up going to zero. 
And knowing what's going on with crypto and what's happening with the stock market and SPACs and everything else, initial thoughts, is this going to happen more rapidly here within the next few years? Are we seeing more and more stock? I mean, you talk about Zoom, you talk about Meta. Are these stocks going to be pulling back 90%? I, I don't know if we'll see Meta and these large, large companies pull back, but we've already begun to see it with, with the SPACs, right? We saw Carvana. I don't even think Carvana was a SPAC, but we've seen companies like Carvana. We've seen companies like, I think, Upstart. We've seen other companies of that nature that, that went and IPO'd when everything was hot and sexy and fun. But, they, but, but you know, and I just made a post about this too to my to my seeking alpha community of things are changing in the way that cash flow freaks. Hashtag cash, cash flow freaks. freaks. Check me out, cash flow freaks. <laughs> but you know, things are changing the way that we can't be things for so long have been fundamentally driven. And then recently, right over the last call of decade or so, debt got really, really cheap. And when debt's really cheap, you can grow at any cost, right? I can borrow one, two, three percent, it's no problem. And that's what it's been like. And we saw that obviously reflected in the stock prices. It was grow at any cost. And now it's like, hold on, the debt's getting kind of expensive. We can't really grow at any cost anymore. We only got 120 million left in the bank. I don't think that's enough for us to flip, you know, uh, adjusted EBITDA positive or, or even net income positive over the next two or three years. Like we really got to figure this out, guys. And there will be companies that do figure it out. I think Hims and Hers, we're going to talk about that company here soon. But there are companies, maybe I shouldn't have. Oh, no, did I give it away? <laughs> Damn, I'm sorry. It's anyway. Um, but I think there are companies out there who have seen this rise up, rise back and, and, and dramatic fall down that will be able to flip um, to, to, to profitability. But there are going to be a lot that won't. We'll see a uh, we'll see. It'll, it'll look like a war zone at the end of this. Right. Everyone's portfolios will be down 90 some percent. And we saw that with, with 2000. Just zoom out. Just go to 2017, 2018, 2019 with cryptocurrency. Right. I can't tell you how many companies, how many cryptos rather that I saw go from nothing to everything, to nothing. And there's still nothing today. That is, they're, they're nothing, right? So it just comes down to, you got to find the ones that are, that are actually worth it. You know what crypto did figure out though, is they figured out that they will never actually truly go to zero because they'll just keep adding zeros after the decimal point. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one thing crypto did find out. So Stephanie does go, so go back to the 60, 40 portfolio, portfolio question. Stephanie over here in the chat says, it depends on your age, objectives, et cetera. I think, Bill, you've got a point as well. I think we all have a point, right? Like maybe it's not time for the 60, 40 portfolio yet. We're obviously watching the bond market as well, knowing that it's pretty much twice as big as the stock market. And obviously they move um, inverse correlated depending on what's happening in the bond market. So uh, I want to go ahead and look at the overall markets so we can show you guys what's going on because I want to highlight Austin. We finally filled the gap on the VIX. Just as we pointed out just the other week, we were drawing our trend lines of seeing what the move here was. We moved it on over and we have finally filled the gap. What I'm expecting is we probably will go down to this 20 level, which is the historical mean for the volatility index. And personally, I'm expecting another pop to the upside. That's just me. But hopefully we can hang out there a while. Uh, looking at the US dollar, obviously we broke through the trend line. As I told you, this kind of been consolidating here. Looking at Bitcoin, Bitcoin's in a consolidation as well. Let's go ahead and look at the SPY ETF for the S&P 500. And funny enough, just the other day, actually, let's do this. I want to show you guys this as well. So I always tell you, come follow me on LinkedIn, right? Because on LinkedIn, just the other day, uh, maybe it was about a week ago now, I had shared this post. I had taken our screenshot and I asked everybody, you see this chart, what do you do, right? Do you buy? Do you short it? Do you sell? Or do you sit on your hands and wait and see what happens? Besides Mike Saul over here saying to ask me, <laughs> some people are saying to short sell it and stuff like that. But the interesting thing is just the inverse, what we've seen already this week, hence the green shirt, because it's a green week, you know, got to represent when we can, <laughs> is we have seen a move to the upside, obviously here. So we have been bouncing off the upper gap here, something to keep mind of. And we are floating a little bit above the long-term downtrend line. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see what happens over these next few weeks into the year end, um, but something to keep in mind there. Triple Qs for the tech sector, obviously downtrend line, same thing. We've broken through, we bounced off the downtrend line, we moved back to the upside, obviously gap above and below the market. And lastly, on the IWM for the small cap stocks, we did, there was a gap right here that we did point out last week, that gap has filled and we're kind of in a trading range there as well. I mean, everything is low volume this week, obviously for the holiday as well. So keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, that's your overall update on the market from a technical standpoint. So I was going to play guess the stock. Play it anyway. Maybe they didn't hear. Maybe they didn't uh, hear. That's all right. I'll just give you the rundown. So obviously we're going over Hims and Hers Inc. today. 
Uh, Austin's going to make the case for you guys, give you the rundown. But first, I just want to point out a couple of cool stats that I found. So Hems and Hers uh, is a company that went public via the Oak Tree Acquisition Corp SPAC at a valuation of $1.6 back on January 19th of 2021. Of course, during the SPAC craziness that we were going through. The company was founded in 2017 in San Francisco. And actually, this company was created within the Atomic Labs portfolio, which is kind of like mm -hmm, a VC mm -hmm. and a venture fund. So which is uh, supported by big VC names like Peter Thiel, which we talk about all the time. In 2019, this company expanded its reach across borders and began selling a limited catalog within the United Kingdom. So not only US-based, which is interesting to me. The current enterprise value of this stock, so of course, market cap minus debt and all that stuff, uh, is just around $1 billion now, which is where it was in January of 2019 after raising $100 million in its Series C's funding round. That was pre-money valuation, of course. Uh, so, Austin, what is the case for this company, Hims and Hers Health Incorporated? So I was going to make a joke about being thankful for this company because of all the companies I invested into uh, that had SPACed. This is probably the only one that didn't just blow up in my face. And for that reason, I'm thankful on this. Did you get in when it, when it came to market? I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did. Uh, and I, I kept buying all the way up. My, I feel like my, my average cost now is well in the double digits, but that's okay. And yeah, full disclosure, I'm a shareholder. I, I'm a shareholder of the company. So um, yeah, the company we're talking about is Hims and Hers Healthcare. They were launched, uh, as Daniel said, in 2017. And this is a healthcare tech company and that, that has built a solution to connect those seeking medical care with licensed professionals. Just download their app, share your location, drop in your birthday, and they immediately offer the option to treat a wide range of ailments. Those ailments might include sexual health, hair and skin, mental health and everyday healthcare, uh, including primary care, allergies, cold and flu, things of that nature. But that's only their first step. So let's assume you're like me. I'm 26 years old and I'm terrified that my hair is going to fall out when I'm older. So I have a finasteride prescription that is uh, fulfilled every single month. And so what I've done is I've gone to Hims. I said, hey, Hims, I need to make sure my hair doesn't fall out. Uh, this is my family history. Can you prescribe me perhaps uh, some finasteride, which is a, a medication to make sure your hair doesn't fall out. And uh, they say, sure. So Hims will prescribe the medication and then offer it to you in a monthly recurring revenue type plan in the sense that your medication is delivered straight to your door, nothing to worry about. You just put that credit card on auto pay and you're good to go. And mind you, these prices are incredibly reasonable considering they're selling a bunch of generics, right? These aren't high prescriptions. These are, these are those generic companies. Um, so now you might begin to see how Hims and Hers is kind of laying this awesome foundation of this predictable monthly recurring revenue across their subscriber base. So when the company hit the public markets in 2020, they had a few things going for them that was pretty interesting. First off, cumulatively, they had conducted 2 million telehealth consultations. And of these cumulative 2 million telehealth consultations, that led to more than 250,000 monthly subscriptions being sent out to their, to their subscribers, right? People like me who say, I want this medication sent to my door. And considering they were vertically integrated, the company's 240 specialty providers were all prescribing the HIMSS consumer brands, which led to them having 70% gross profit margins. Um, from a sales perspective, leading up into their public debut, uh, the company was running at a 128% revenue growth, compounded annual growth rate from 2018 to 2020, right? So it's three years, 128%. 91% uh, of that revenue is subscription-based revenue, which is really cool. Cumulative revenue uh, per new subscriber was climbing quickly. So from a six-month period, so let's say like, hey, Austin, you have uh, subscribed to some finasteride. And over the next six months, how much revenue are you going to give us? So in 2019, this was 120. And then in 2020, this doubled to 220, right? Nearly doubled to 220, right? So they were not only sort of, you know, getting these subscribers, but they were upselling them like crazy in a, in a good way. So now here's the fun part. This is what gets me really excited. In their 2020 investor deck, whenever they spacked, Hims shared with us their financial projections for 2022, right? All these SPACs like, yeah, we're going to do great. We're going to have all this money. It's going to be wonderful. $233 million in 2022 revenue, right? 233 was their goal. Of that 233, $175 million was going to be recognized as gross profit. And they'd have ran about a $10 million adjusted EBITDA loss, right? So that was their goal. 233 
175 and a $10 million adjusted EBITDA loss. They're pretty much saying, hey, in two years, we're going to double our revenue and double our gross profit. Uh, it'll be fun. They were wrong. They were absolutely wrong in a very, very good way. So Hims just shared with us their Q3 earnings report for 2022, and it was absolutely wonderful. Those, do you guys remember when I mentioned those 2 million cumulative telehealth consultations that led up to their public debut? That number is now 9 million. 9 million telehealth consultations cumulatively in only two years. It's 7 million more consultations in just two years. Those monthly subscriptions of 250,000, that is 991,000 subscribers today. That same 90% subscription revenue uh, is, as well, right? Same. So they added all these new revenue ways of making money and, it, and they, they, they stayed in that 90% range. And, and now here's the best part, right? Back to that original investor deck guiding to 233 million in 2022. Today, the company is projected to do $515 million in revenue this year, right? That is bonkers to me. Not only did they say, yeah, we'll double in two years, not, they didn't double, they, they quintupled. What is that? 5X, right? That's crazy. That's more than double than their original projection of doubling in two years. Um, it's, it's intense growth, right? And, and oh, the margins, right? We just talked about the margins. So of course their margins stayed intact. Gross profit margins actually expanded from 71% to 78%. They're now guiding to more than 400 million in gross profit for 2022. And the best part is they're guiding to flip adjusted EBITDA positive heading into 2023. So if you are an aggressive investor looking for growth opportunities, companies that are disrupting the space and, and, and growing at a, at a clip that's insane, as well as you know, uh, you know, a lot of that floating down to the adjusted EBITDA line, which I think is very important, especially as we just talked about with uh, interest rates being so high and grow at any cost isn't really uh, sexy anymore. I mean, HIMSS checks a lot of those boxes, right? Disruptive technology, they're flipping healthcare on its head, massive total addressable market, right? Tens of billions of dollars, predictable subscription revenue, 90% of quarterly revenue is subscription-based. Juicy gross profit margins, nearly 80%. They're exceeding expectations during a recession, right? 515 million uh, versus 233. They'll likely flip free cash flow positive in 2023. The stock is down 75% from its bubble peak in 2021. They've outperformed the SPY year to date, and the quant rating is a strong buy. It, I mean, come on now. What, what, what else is so exciting? Oh, and here's a, I forgot to mention the valuation, right? We talk about valuations here all the time. Very important. They're only trading at a two times forward revenue valuation, two times. Right, a company that is slated to grow revenue by forty percent in twenty twenty three. Quant rating as a hold on seeking out, but did yeah, I look at the wrong? It's updated today. I was going to surprise. Oh you. man, are you kidding me? All right, but well, I guess why is that? Well, stocks prices up a little bit today, so that I mean, could be true. That valuation true. aspect, we're watching that. So, well, all right. Well, I'm not crazy. I promise it was a strong buy. When it was, was a strong buy yesterday. yesterday when I saw it. I cool. Can um, but anyway, you know, this is a company who's growing revenue like crazy. They're only trading at a two times forward revenue multiple, 80% gross margins. Uh, they'll do billions of dollars, in my humble opinion, in revenue by the end of the decade. There's a lot to be excited about if you are into disruptive healthcare technology. I love it. All right, let's take a quick look at the charts. And I've got some questions for you, actually, about this one. So obviously, this is Hims. This is the SPAC that turned into Hims, the public company. I went ahead and put a little text bubble here so that you guys could see this is where Hims and hers went public with that O-Tree SPAC. So obviously somebody, <laughs> the investors that were in the SPAC already loved the idea, loved it. And then of course, this was during the SPAC craze. So you got to kind of read through all those bubbles, uh, or the lines here. So obviously, as you mentioned, the stocks pulled back tremendously. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. where are we today? I pulled the most recent Fibonacci levels. We're finding some resistance around the 618 here. Uh, gap above and below the market. So that's where the chart is. But Austin, I, so I love what you were talking about, right? So we're talking about the massive growth that's happened year over year. The questions I have for you and, and try to like challenging you on this is not to mention that there's short interest over 10% on the stock, which is kind of interesting to me. Um, when do you actually think that this company will flip over to be profitable? So are we talking that income pot profitable or free cash flow profitable, right? I think free cash flow Oh yeah, flow that's positive. the other point. It's like, so, so free cash flow per share is like negative 14 cents right now. If we're looking for free cash flow positive. I would say next year. I think that's fair. I mean, I'm not talking like millions of dollars, maybe, you yeah. know, five, six, or seven. At least something to get the road. It'll be something road, though, right? I mean, I think at the, the end right of the direction. day, 
they were able to scale this company much quicker than expected, right? You know, in their investor deck, they were hoping they'd double. They went from 90 million to, to 515, right? That is way more growth than I'm sure that they were expecting in that period of time. A lot of that might've come them though from either offering these new products, right? They've kind of expanded their product offerings, but they've also really leaned into celebrity endorsements, Gronk, Miley Cyrus. Um, I think there were also a couple other celebrities out there that have, I, I would imagine moved the needle for them from a sales perspective. But what's interesting to me and really exciting is they launched their app about six months ago and you know they they didn't really have a, a easy way to to sell this product and and get these people to to track their products put in those credit cards have it be auto invested right things of that nature i'm sorry auto uh auto pay uh things of that nature but the app is crushing it i went to the app store yesterday to go check out the ratings it's like 2600 ratings 4.9 stars a lot of people like it um yeah i mean i think at the end of the day like next year i think they'd, they'd be free cash flow positive that's awesome. Also, I'm glad Stephanie asked this over here in the chat because it was kind of one of my thoughts I originally as well as what are their competitive advantages? Is is it mainly that they're signing like kind of exclusive deals with the products that they're offering? Because I, I heard this news the other day about Amazon Clinic that is coming out and Amazon obviously wants to go, what uh, what is it? They want to provide care for more than 20 ailments. Um, and with people having their prime memberships already, that's a, that's a certain subscription model. So is it that Hims and Her is signing exclusive deals with certain products that you can only get through their subscription? Do you know this? I, I think it's more from like the vertically integrated perspective, right? So like they have specialty providers that are that are working for them, right? And and they've got all of these generics now that are wrapped in the Hims and Hers, right? Logos and things of that nature. They've got their two uh, fulfillment centers, one in Ohio, one in Arizona. And I think that is the competitive advantage of like, listen, they realize that, including myself, I'm uninsured. I do, I'm an entrepreneur. I don't have health insurance. That's just my reality. And so I, though, am happy to say, how much is it going to cost for me to get this prescription? Oh, $35? I can, I can certainly afford that. That's really cool, right? And so I think there's millions and millions and millions of Americans that are sort of in my age range, maybe older, maybe younger, that don't have that awesome, cool, I can go to the doctor opportunity. And that's, I think, who they're going after. And they're crushing it from that perspective, right? They're going from 2 million to 9 million cumulative telehealth uh, consultations that has um, more than 3x their total number of subscribers. It's, it's, it's been really cool to see, but I think, it would be the, I think it's the vertically integrated business model that they have is, is what is their competitive advantage. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. So Vito over here says Amazon Clinic is pretty cool. Tried it out the other day. Um, obviously- nice. I'll have to try that as well, but obviously him and hers. I mean, I haven't tried it yet. I have to look into it. So before we get on out of here, I want to throw through, run through all of what we normally do. Josh, let's go ahead and go through the rating summary factor grades and everything else from the Seeking Alpha symbol page. So obviously the Seeking Alpha authors have a buy on this stock. Wall Street is a buy as well. And the quant system had just switched to a hold today. I can assess that. Let's go to the next slide. Man, look I got bamboozled grade. right there. I'll tell you what, I was so excited to see it as a strong buy. I thought I found one, Daniel. It happens. <laughs> I think you have found one. I have. I really do. I, I mean, I like a lot of things that you told us about this company when it comes to the growth and the possibility. I mean, there, it's a huge market that they haven't even tapped. They've got great VC backing. They've got smart people in the position. I mean, the CEO went to, um, shoot, I was listening, looking it up. I think he went to Wharton Business School, actually. Uh, he's, he, he's been involved with Atomic uh, Venture Lab since like 2012. He's like a, a partner and co-founder, I guess, of that. They, they've been doing a lot of stuff. Seems like a really smart guy. So valuation on this stock, Hims and Her, Inc. is a valuation of D-. minus. Growth is B plus, which is better than it has been in the last three to six months. Profitability is a B plus, which is also better than it was six months ago. Momentum in A and revisions are an A here as well, which just means the Wall Street analysts are more favorable on the stock, revising their up, uh, revising their revenue and EPS revisions upwards. Sorry, it took me a second there. Let's go to the next slide. This is just to point out, like I said earlier, short interest is ten percent on the stock. Um, I don't know. They've they've got a lot of cash on the balance sheet, not a lot of debt. Uh, I think there's a lot of possibility. So you could see a short squeeze at any moment if some crazy great news comes out of this. Let's go to the next slide and just break it down so you guys can see. Seeking Alpha authors, two are a strong buy, three are a buy. Wall Street ratings, you got three are a strong buy, 10 analysts in the last 90 days, two are a buy, and five have a hold on this stock. And lastly, Josh, next slide, earnings estimates, just to show you guys what is projected for the next two years. I mean, look at that sale growth. You're looking at year-over-year -year growth next year of 37.37%. And then the year after that currently is 23.29. Let's go and take the slide off there, Josh. I think the big thing for me is just watching their marketing spend. I know a lot of people have been talking about that, how they've been doubling their marketing spend. Um, 
as they're going forward and really what the competition with Amazon might look like here in the States. Uh, and also I believe Amazon's in a couple of places over in Europe. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But I, I like, I think for me, I would put this into my little speculative side of my portfolio and just be like, look, it's a small stock. I see the potential for huge reward here. Um, and I'm glad to know that you're a shareholder. So now I can bug you about it for the rest of <laughs> rest of time until you sell someday. And hopefully you sell for a, a 400,000 you know, dollar profit or something. I don't know. That'd be um, great. <laughs> I know, that's what we all hope for. So Stephanie says, who are the founders? Can we see the founder's position recently buying and selling shares? Absolutely. Well, so let's save that for another time. Or you can go to Seeking Alpha Symbol page. Obviously, you can see all the ownership there. I did just see that one of the C-level executives did execute on recent employment plan options. They bought, I think, 2,500 shares at $3 a piece. So obviously, they've got their, their nice little deals. But I was looking into that a little bit. Um, and the founders, the last name, oh, shoot, I knew this. I was looking them all up this morning. You put me on the spot here. Um, Dutter, I think it's the last name. Andrew Duddum. Sorry, Duddum. Andrew Duddum, if you guys want to go look him up. So, Austin, obviously, we're going to get on out of here. Let everybody go enjoy their Thanksgiving. Go check out Austin, Cashflow Freaks. Thank you for giving us the rundown on this stock. Yeah, Honestly, man, this was a blast. No, I really appreciated this. I, I think what, what's fun, too, is like, there are so many companies out there that I don't know about that people drop into the chat. There are companies that are on my radar that I might have seen somewhere and I, I just kind of keep tabs on it. And the ones that actually are worth keeping tabs on, the one that I'm thankful for, right, for actually doing pretty good after their SPAC from a fundamental perspective, I want to share with you all. So yeah, this was this was really fun. Definitely go check it out. They do not pay a dividend, Mohammed. Um, they are still not that hyper growth mode. But, um, but yeah, go check it out. Do some research, right? This is what we're all we're trying to have a conversation, have some fun. And uh, everyone, enjoy your Thanksgiving. Giving. Super thankful for everyone coming in every single week to hang out with us. This show has been so much fun. Just Vita bought, just nine, bought shares. nine shares of hymns. Just bought nine shares. All right, Vita, we are fellow Obviously, this is together. not investment advice, guys. So if you're getting in this, know that there's the risk, obviously. Um, but yeah, it was a great rundown. Obviously, I want to go back real quick to Gian. Uh, what do you think of Bido? Bido? Bido, I think it's the pro shares Bitcoin. Obviously, it's moving in tandem, pretty correlated to Bitcoin's price. So obviously, everything we said about crypto boys over to that as well Well, let's see yeah, i'll just be sure like you know if you want bitcoin exposure buy bitcoin don't buy it through some third-party exchange or, or some other bido or you know grayscale or things of that nature so uh that, that's my perspective um but again you know that's only so maybe it's retirement i don't know right at long story short not your wallet i'm sorry not your keys not your coins something like that i don't know i don't have that problem because i don't invest in it so that's what it is all right everyone happy thanksgiving if you're here in the states We'll see you next Wednesday, same time right here, 12 p.m. Eastern. And thank you if you're listening on the podcast. Just a reminder, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Even if you don't listen to it there, if you don't mind, give us a star rating review. I'm not going to tell you. I bias. I, I'm biased. I think it should be five stars, but that's just me. I mean, but leave us a review. Let us know what you think. And obviously, we'll see you next week. Josh, let's get on out of here. <laughs>